0: I want to continue my series of messages entitled Fearless, and it's actually the story of the life of David. And today is Pastor Appreciation Day, and, and I think if you follow along with me, you'll know where I'm going, because I think this is a really important day. So kind of follow along with me, because I think that at the end of it, you're going to see how it all ties together. But I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 Samuel 18 chapter 18. And hopefully this sermon will actually culminate at the MMC building after the service. We're going to invite everyone to come over for a few moments. So don't forget, leave a little time to make sure we do that. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. David is a man after God's own heart. And the reason why we're studying, the reason why I've been in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Kings, because I want to learn a little bit more about being a man after God's own heart. I mean, at the end of David's life, God said, here, here's a guy. That, that had my heart, that was running after my heart. Now, David was not perfect. He did a lot of bad stuff, but you know what? All through it all, David possessed a heart after God. And why did David possess a heart after God? Because, one, David embraced the full redemption of God. Man, when he got caught, he repented, and he really was sorrowful for what he did. David was a worshiper. He understood that... That God was a great God and that worship is a response to who God is and what he's done in our life. And David was an unashamed worshiper of God. He loved to worship God. I mean, so much of the Psalms are about worshiping God. David was an obedient man of God. In fact, the Bible says that God himself said to Samuel, here's a young man who does what I tell him to do, therefore he's a man after my own heart. Now, David also confronted a Goliath. Last week we talked about how David faced Faced his giants in his life and the truth is the reason why David entered into the valley the reason why he faced the greatest giant of his life the reason why David was willing to even die in the valley was because when Goliath began to taunt the armies of God when he began to mock his God he said nobody mocks my God he said he's an uncircumcised Philistine he's not in covenant relationship with my God I am And David's priority in his life was the glory of God. And as a result of that, the Bible tells us that God chose David to be king. And we pick up the story now in in actually 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I want you to notice something that happens in David's life. David is given a gift. It's an incredible gift that David was given. I want you to notice what happens in David's life that will prove to be one of the most important things that ever happens to David in his life. God gives David a friend. And his name is Jonathan. In fact, the name Jonathan in the Hebrew actually means God gives. God gives. And so now God gives David a gift. And why does God give David a gift of a true friend? Why does God give David a gift of a loyal and faithful and committed and sacrificial and visionary friend? Well, let's look again. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, God gives, became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. After David is interviewed by Saul and Saul decides that I'm going to keep David with me. I'm going to give David a job and and David is going to be someone who's going to go out to war for me. And the Bible says after Saul interviews David, after Saul decides to have David join his team, after Saul decides to keep David with him, God gives David a friend. Why? Because God knew that David was going to go through the most difficult time in his life. David was going to be prepared to be a king. David was being fashioned and molded to be a man of God. David was getting ready to be put into the furnace of persecution and trials. David was being prepared to assume great responsibility. And God knew if David was going to survive, God knew if David was going to make it, God knew that if David was going to become everything that God wanted him to be, David would need a true friend. He would need a committed friend. He would need a loyal friend. He would need a sacrificial friend. He would need a visionary friend. And so David's a young man. The Bible says in verse 2, and so Saul kept David with him and did not allow him to return back to his home. Now now I want you to know as a young man, that's kind of, that's kind of difficult. David is taken out of his home. David leaves his brothers. David leaves his familiar surroundings, and God lifts him out of that and places him in the palace. Now, we know that Saul becomes jealous, and we'll talk about it in a few moments, but but David is separated from everything that he knows and understands, and God knows that if David's going to survive, if David's going to make it, then David's going to need a friend, and therefore God gives Jonathan to David. David and Jonathan's heart are knit together almost instantaneously. There's a divine connection. There is a forging of two hearts. There's, it's not a weird thing. It's not a sinfully sexual thing as the world would say. You know what? The truth is there, there are people that are actually using the story of Jonathan and David to justify homosexuality. Because when you look at this, you go, wow, these guys really loved each other. But it doesn't say that they were one in flesh. It says they were one in spirit. They were one in heart. You see, and to the world, that's weird. It's weird to see two men that are really committed to one another right away. The world wants to turn it into something that it's never intended to be. Right away, the world wants to see something that's not really there. Why? Because they want to justify their own sinful behavior. And they need to find something in the Bible that looks to them a little weird. But this is not weird to me at all. This is not strange to me at all. This is something that God intended or from the very beginning. In fact, the Bible says it's not good to just have one man. I created one man. It's not good for man to be alone. Yes, he gave him a wife. But the Bible also tells us, the Bible applauds, the Bible lifts up friendship. In fact, the Bible speaks about friendship as one of the most important gifts that another man could have. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 27 verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel Wow sweet when you have a great friend it's powerful when you have a great friend Psalms 133 says how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity and what is unity unity is being one in heart Unity is being one in spirit. Unity is enjoying fellowship with one another, understanding, truly understanding someone, willing to even die for that person. Uh, Proverbs 17 7 says, A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Now, I've got a blood brother. I, I had two blood brothers when one went on to be with the Lord. Uh, but I have my brother Anthony. And boy, I tell you what, he is, uh, he is my friend. My brother Anthony understands things. We've had deep conversations together. And, man, we've enjoyed an incredible relationship. We are we are so close. When we see each other, we hug each other. It's so good to be in the same room. He lives in Florida. I live in New York. And when I see my brother, I get so glad. But you know what? I have people in my life that are not blood brothers, people that God has given me as a gift, friends that God has given me. When I see them, man, my heart is glad. That I have friends in my life that will go into the valley with me, that will battle with me, that will be with me me in the difficult times of life that will cry with me that will laugh with me that will tell me the truth that will tell me the truth even when it hurts you know why because the bible says a friend he loves me at all times he loves me in all kinds of different ways hallelujah and the bible says in ecclesiastes chapter 4 two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil for if they fall one will lift the other fellow up but woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has no one else to lift him up again. This is powerful. Proverbs 27 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another man. And instantly, Jonathan and David hit it off. They have a conversation, and they realize they're both warriors. They both have a passion for the glory of God. They both have hearts after God. They both are noble in the way they act. They both have a high respect for those that are in authority. They both are fearless in battle. David David goes into the valley and faces the giant and Jonathan goes up the mountain with his armor-bearer and he faces the enemy. And he does it with a fearless faith in God. As Jonathan said, God will deliver with few. Hallelujah. And David says to the giant, you uncircumcised Philistine, today the Lord will give you into my hand. They were fearless warriors. They both had faith. They were both willing to sacrifice anything for the glory and will of God. They were both committed to Saul. They were committed to Saul unto death. Committed to Saul to the very end. And they both believed that God is, was completely in control of their lives. And they would lived that way every single day of their life. They were fearless. And instantly God divinely knits their hearts together. I want you to know I have friends like that. I have friends that, that God is, has, has drawn us together. And knitted our hearts together it seemed like one conversation one extended time of dialogue and I just knew this man has a heart like my heart this this man loves what what I love this man has a passion for the glory of God this man has a passion for his wife and his children this man sees things like I see things This man has a similar passion for the things that I have a passion for. This man is not afraid to take that mountain. And God divinely fused our hearts together. Listen to me. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not weird. It's not strange. It's not something perverted. You see, the Bible tells us that there there would come a day when the Holy Spirit would descend upon the church. And the Bible tells us that God put 120 people together in an upper room and God knit their hearts together in such a fashion that the Bible says they were one in spirit. See, there's the word again, David and Jonathan, one in spirit. And Paul the apostle tells us in Philippians that that he wants his joy to be complete in us as we are people that are one in spirit, one in heart, one in mind, understanding that God knits people together and God puts people together to become friends with one another. I've got lifelong friends. People that have gone into the valley with me people that have cried with me people that have laughed with me people that were there when I lost everything and they were there to help me to recover again pick me up again visionary friends committed friends sacrificial friends friends that could see things in me that I could not see in myself in fact I want to be honest with you when I was preparing this sermon uh, last Wednesday in my office I began to cry and I and I text one of my best friends in the whole world and I said Listen, this is a pastor's sermon for pastors, but I want you to know that I love you, and I thank God for you, and I thank God that you were with me in the difficult times, and I thank God that God was raising me up for such a time as this, even though I didn't deserve it, even though I'm not qualified. But every step of the way, you, my friend, have blessed me with your life. You have blessed me. You have been sacrificial, and you've been a part, you've been an incredible part of the journey that God has taken me on my life. And David's friendship with Jonathan was nothing less than the Holy Spirit fusing, molding, forging two men's hearts together to love, to honor, to respect, to protect and empower each other to be everything that God wanted them to be together. It was powerful. Why? Because David could not be everything that God wanted David to be without a loyal, sacrificial friend like Jonathan God gives. And God would call David, God would craft David, God would mold David, God would allow David to be tested beyond measure. And God would give David a faithful friend to take the journey with him, to encourage him, to empower him, and to strengthen him along the way. And in all the things that God had done in their lives, in all of our lives as well, everyone will need people to take the journey with them. Everyone's going to need somebody to take the journey with them, to laugh with them, to cry with them, to share with them, to stand with them, to fight with them, to defend with them, and to intercede for them. People that are even willing to die for them because of the sake of the kingdom of God. And Jonathan was one of David's greatest gifts in life. Jonathan was a gift. Jonathan, the Lord, gives And I know some of you, as I'm preaching right now, you say, man, I'd I'd love to have somebody like that in my life. Listen, God's not talking about you having somebody. God's talking about you being somebody. (laughs) That before you can have somebody in your life, you need to decide to be that person to somebody else. Hallelujah. Not to think about the, the fact that you don't have, but to think about the fact that you can be. That you can be a Jonathan to somebody else. That you can come alongside of somebody else and see what God is doing in their life and rejoice that God is doing something great in their life. And you can take the journey with them and you can see God's faithfulness in their life as you help to seek the things that God is doing in their life. And then you get the, the reward to be like Jonathan. I think that Jonathan is actually the unsung hero of David's life. Jonathan was sent by God to come alongside David, to help David, to to be everything that God intended David to be. So what was it about Jonathan that made him such an incredible friend? What made Jonathan an outstanding friend? Well, number one, I want you to write this down. Jonathan was a committed friend. In a world of disposable friendships, In a world where there are disposable relationships, if somebody doesn't get along with somebody, they just move on. Somebody has irreconcilable differences, they just move on. If we can't get along, if somebody gets offended, they just move on. Find another friend. I can't tell you how many people have found another church. Pastor Steve, he offended me. He didn't say hello to me. He didn't do this, he didn't do that. We're moving on to find another friend, right? In a world where we can dispose of everything, we think that friendships are also disposable. But friend, I want you to know today that the Bible calls us to be friends. That we're to forgive one another. We're to understand one another. We're not to allow the sun to go down on our wrath. But all the time we are to extend mercy and grace to the people in our life. And Jonathan is one of those friends. He's a committed friend to the end. How do we know that? Look at verse 3. And Jonathan, God's gift to David, made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Wow. Didn't Jesus tell us that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves? That's not weird. That's just biblical. That we're, we're to think about our friends like we think about ourselves. We're to treat our friends the way we want to be treated. We're to treat our friends with respect and dignity the same way that we want to be treated. We're to listen to our friends. We're to give grace to our friends. We're to be forgiven to our friends the way that Christ has forgiven us. And so the Bible says that, that David and Jonathan, they entered into a, a covenant. This was a covenant friendship. These two men were serious about their friendship. Now, 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 the Bible says in verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. The making of a covenant was serious business in the Old Testament. The making of a covenant is still serious in places around the world. It was the strongest bond known to man. A covenant was was the strongest bond known to mankind. It was made because two people entered into a vow. They made a promise, and even unto death, they would keep their promise. Why? Because their word was everything. Now today, we enter into contracts, and we write contracts with loopholes so we can get out of it. But a covenant has no loopholes a covenant is as strong as the person's word a covenant is as strong as the person's will a covenant is as strong as a person saying i will keep my word even if i have to die on that word i will keep that covenant and it was both for business person purposes and personal applications and it was extended even to the descendants of the two parties In fact, in a covenant, there were seven things that would happen. There were seven things that usually took place when somebody entered into a covenant. The first thing they would do is actually take off their clothes. They would take off some of their clothes, and they would give their clothes to the other person. And when they did that, they were saying, everything that I have now belongs to you. The second thing they would do is take their weapon, and they would place the weapon in the hand. And they did that to say, I am going to give you my weapon as a sign that I am going to protect you. I'm never going to use my power to destroy you. But the truth of the matter is is we're going to synergetically put our power together and we're going to stand together. And in the olden days they would actually slit their wrists. Now listen to me. I'm not proposing, I'm not suggesting that you go slit your wrists, right? But but, but they would actually slit their wrists and they would take their blood and they would put their wrists together so that the blood would mingle together and they would have a scar. And that scar would be there for the rest of their life. And they would raise up their hands like this. When their enemies were coming against them, they would raise up their hands and they would see that they had a scar, and that scar was an indication that that they had a friend. They had a buddy. They had somebody that was going to fight with them. When they raised up their hand, they were saying, I'm not alone. You want to fight? Realize one thing. I might have a lot of covenant relationships and so you might see me alone but behind me, there's a group of men that will fight with me. There's a group of men that will stay with me. There's a group of men that will go in the valley with me. There's a group of men that will hold up my hands. There's a group of men that are willing to die with me. Wow, that's very powerful. Then they would take and they would actually shake hands. And they would let that blood again mingle together. And that's where we get the handshake from. And then they would build a monument. Before they built that monument, they would sit down and they'd have a bowl of pasta fazul together. They would sup together. They would have a meal together. And then they would build a monument together. And they would say, on this day, we entered into a vow. And we promised that we will be friends for the rest of our life. We promise that we will never hurt each other. Each other and when we do hurt each other we will be quick to forgive each other why because we're in a covenant relationship in David's day it was normal for two men to enter into a covenant because a covenant was a binding agreement it said this, this is my word it was a man's word it was a man's character it was in a, a binding event that bound them even to the next generation and beyond so that they made a promise that whatever happened even when they died, that, that covenant agreement was passed on to their children. We're gonna talk about that in a, in a couple of weeks where David says about Jonathan's house, is there anyone in Jonathan's house, is there anyone left in Jonathan's house because I made a covenant with Jonathan that as long as I'm alive, I'm gonna make sure that he's blessed and his sons are blessed. Come on somebody, wow, wow. He never forgets his covenant that he makes to his friend. Why? Because Jonathan was a committed friend. And the reason why this seems so strange or over the top is because today everyone breaks covenant all the time. But to David and Jonathan, it was their word. It was a normal course of entering into a friendship. And Jonathan chose commitment over convenience. Jonathan chose commitment over convenience convenience. Jonathan knew that his friendship with David would cost him his life. And the truth of the matter is, is that Saul tried to kill Jonathan. When when Jonathan stood up to protect David, the Bible says his own father took a spear. He was so filled with demonic jealousy and insecurity that he lifted up a spear and was willing to kill his own son because Jonathan made a covenant with David that no matter what, I'm going to stay with you, I'm going to protect you. Wow, amazing. Listen to me, a true friend that's committed to the relationship, even when it's hard, even when there's disagreement, even when someone hurts us, even when it may cost us something. Secondly, Jonathan was a sacrificial friend. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. And when Jonathan gave David his royal robe, when Jonathan gave him his spear, he was actually saying, David, I know that one day you're going to be king, and I willfully choose to serve you as a king. Now now think of the implications of that. Jonathan is the heir of the kingdom. All that has to happen is Saul to be successful in killing David. Jonathan, all he had to do was close his eyes. All he had to do was say, you know, I don't need to see this. I like David, but I'm going to close my eyes. I'm not going to stand with David. And as my father kills David, I'm going to become the king. And so on that day, when he made a covenant with David, he was actually laying down his right to be a king. He was laying down his right to the palace. He was laying down his right to everything that the palace gave Jonathan. Listen to me. You know, sometimes we look at these stories and we don't realize, we don't understand what's really happening here. This is a business deal as well. Jonathan is saying, Listen, I give you everything that I have. I lay it all down. Why in the world would Jonathan do that? Because Jonathan saw the, 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 the power of God. He saw the commitment of God to David. He saw that God was doing a great work in David's life, and he wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And so he laid down his right, and he became a sacrificial friend to David. I think of another friend. His name is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came from heaven, that's exactly what he did for you and I. He took off his royal robe. He took his sword out of his sheath, and he put it down. He laid down his life. He died on the cross for you and I so that we might have peace with God. He became the sacrificial lamb. He became our friend. As Jesus said, greater love no man has than he would lay down his life for a friend. And you are my friend. And I'm here to celebrate today that Jesus Christ became our committed sacrifice. Friend, he laid down his life for us so that we might become kings and priests unto God. Come on, somebody, just ponder that for a moment and say, Thank you, Jesus, that you are my humble friend. So, Jonathan is a sacrificial friend, and it's revealed, it's understood through his humility. And so, Jonathan is a humble friend. Jonathan's not jealous of David's victories. Jonathan is not afraid that David's going kill, to kill him or steal his kingdom. Jonathan sees what God is doing in David's life, and he rejoices. He rejoices. Now, we know the story, and we're going to pick it up next week, but we know what happens. The Bible says that after Saul interviews David, Saul brings David into his house. Jonathan and David are knit together as friends. God knows that David's gonna need a friend. Why? Because in just a couple of verses, everything's gonna turn from love to hate. And David now is going to be in the presence of Saul, and Saul is filled with hatred. Why? Because the Bible tells us that, that Saul tells David, you go out and fight some battles, and David comes back, and boy, he wins some battles. And and all of the officials love David. And David starts to be raised up, and the Bible tells us that Saul is jealous of David because when they come back from war, the women, it's always the women. (laughs) Just kidding. The women start to sing and dance, and they start singing a song that really bothered Saul. They start singing, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Saul has defeated his thousands. he's de- defeated and, and killed his thousands, but David, <laughs> he's killed his tens of thousands. And the Bible says that Saul said, wait a minute, too much applause for David, and he becomes jealous. And the Bible says at that, that moment he keeps an evil eye on David he watches David the Bible says he sends David out and he says you know what I'm not gonna kill him I'm to I'm, I'm gonna let somebody else kill him but that doesn't work and so now we find a couple of verses later that that Saul takes a spear and he wants to do it himself and he flings that spear and, and he tries to thrust it into the heart of David David runs away from Saul and now David is on the run for years David is on the run but Jonathan He sees that David is anointed of God. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Now, we have to be careful because when we read the scriptures, we think it happens, we think it happens right away. We think it happens one day this happened, one day this happened, another day, no, 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 no. It's over years that some of these things happen. And now David is in a cave. He's running away from Saul, he's running for his life. And David's a little discouraged. I, I gotta tell you, I'd be a little discouraged. If every town I went to I was kicked out because uh, everybody knew that Saul was going to kill me and now David, is, he's hanging out in a cave and he's feeling bad for himself. He's, he doesn't know what to do. And, and, and Jonathan, the humble servant of God, Jonathan, the gift that God gave him in a friend who was not jealous of him but actually saw what God was doing in his life and raised him up, put him on his shoulder and raised him up. He comes to David. Notice what he says in verse 17. David, don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. And I will be second to you. Wow. Humble humility. I mean, to think for the rest of his life, he could have been number one. Yes. How many men, how many leaders? We want to be number one. We get a chance to be number one. We're going we're gonna to do everything we can to maneuver our way up to number one. But Jonathan was happy, content with being number two, second. He knew who he was. He was secure in who he was. He was secure in what God was doing in his life. He was secure enough to know that he was number two. And, 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 and the truth of the matter is, is that he was just falling in line with God's will and he wanted to do the will of God more than his own will and he died to himself and he trusted God and he said, God, if this is where you want me to be, if this is where you want David to be, then I'm falling in line and I'm going to rejoice and know that I can serve your purpose in my life. You see, when you decide to come under where God has you, whether you're a wife, whether you're a, a person who works for somebody, whatever it is, and you decide you're going to submit to authority, you, you decide that you're going to submit to the person that God put over you, and it doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter how young. I remember when I became the senior pastor of Bethlehem Assembly of God, I was 30 years old. To this church, that was very young. And there were a couple of young, uh, older people that had a hard time submitting to my authority because I was young. Little by little, God began to do a work and an anointing in my life. And some of them were able to say, you know, I just see, I recognize the work of God in his life. And I'm going to come under that authority. I need not to abuse that authority. I need not to use that authority for my own gain. But I need to be like David, a man after my own heart. And if I'm a man after God's own heart and after God's own will for my life, then people will come alongside of me and God will help us to do what God has called us to do. And Jonathan chose to play the supportive role. Even though he was a brave warrior. Even though Jonathan could have had a following. Even though the people of Israel loved Jonathan. They loved Jonathan. They respected and honored Jonathan. Even though... Jonathan won some incredible battles in his life. And I suppose that there were people that when Jonathan went up to that mountain with his armor bearer and he took that mountain and he took all the people, him and himself and the armor bearer, that when he came back they sang songs about him as well. And that could have been a stumbling block in his life. Even though Jonathan had the right to become king and have his own following, he gave up his right to lead so that God's will could be fulfilled, not only in his life, but in the lives of other people. You see, when you're a friend, you have to be willing to sacrifice your own comfort. You have to be willing to sacrifice things to be a friend to someone else. Paul reminds us of this when he talks about being people of God who don't have selfish ambitions I want you to notice what it says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit look at those two words selfish ambition don't do anything to get up to the top on your own wait until God raises you up because promotion comes from the Lord don't manipulate don't somehow try to get yourself up to the top by somehow undermining the person that's over you right now. He says, and don't do anything through vain conceit. You know what vain conceit is? Thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Thinking that you are or need to be or you should be somewhere that God doesn't want you to be. Rather, in humility. Humility. What is humility? Understanding your place in the kingdom of God. Understanding what God's doing in your life. And being comfortable in your own skin. Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of your other interests in relationships with one another. Having, listen, here it is. Having the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Come on, somebody. And at the right time, God will raise him up and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. A humble servant is a servant who recognizes his place and God's timing in his life. Jonathan was a protective friend. In the beginning, Saul loved David, but his love is turned to demonic jealousy. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was on David's life. And David was successful in everything he did. And now Saul's love turns into a determination to kill David, and Saul over and over again wants to take David's life. But notice what Jonathan does. The Bible tells us that that Jonathan, the next chapter, chapter 19, Jonathan goes to intercede for David with Saul. And what does Jonathan do? He protects David's reputation. I love that. I love that. Somebody comes to to Saul and says, man, that David guy, he's trying to take your kingdom. In fact, that's what they did. All of the people that kissed up to Saul, they were saying, Saul, you better watch out for David. He's going to take your kingdom. Because they were all filled with jealousy. They were all trying to get to the top. They were all trying to claw to the top. And they started to tell Saul, yeah, Saul, you're right in killing David because he really wants, I'm telling you, he's going to turn on you. He looks good now. He says the right things now. He looks like he's submissive to you now, but there's coming a day. He's going to take your kingdom. And the Bible says that Jonathan rose up to defend his leader. Jonathan rose up to defend his friend and said, uh-uh, uh, Saul, I want to remind you, David was the one who went down into the valley to take care of the giant, and he helped to establish your kingdom. Uh-uh, Saul. David has done everything so as to support you and help you in the process of defeating your enemies and the enemies of God. Saul is furious. Jonathan is intervening, protecting the good name of David, protecting David's life, protecting David's heart. Why? Because he was a protective friend. Jonathan made a covenant with David that he would always protect them. True friends protect each other from gossip. True friends protect each other from the attacks of the enemy. True friends protect each other from danger. True friends protect each other from people who want to take them down. And lastly, Jonathan was an empowering friend. Jonathan was committed. Jonathan was sacrificial. Jonathan was was certainly humble. Jonathan was protective. But, but more than all of those things, Jonathan was an empowering friend. Now, now David's on the run from Saul. And sometime later, David gets to this place in his life where he is really discouraged. I, I got to tell you, I think every leader, look at me right now, every leader has to go through a season in their life where they are are in the fire, where their authority is questioned, where where their commitment to God is questioned, where their commitment to the kingdom is questioned. Every leader has to go through the furnace. Every leader has to go through a time where they're sitting in a cave. We're going to talk about that. What do you do when you're in a cave one week? Every leader has to be sitting in a cave wondering, God, am I going to get out of this situation? Every leader has to live by faith. Every leader has to be obedient to God, even when it hurts. And so David now, the Bible says, is sitting in a cave. I want you to listen to, the, to this verse. I want you to listen to the words of this verse because it's very important. The Bible says in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 23, And David stayed... David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought for David every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. So David was in the wilderness and Ziph in a forest. Every leader will have to go into the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's got to be tempted of the enemy. He's got to emerge out of the wilderness experience with more determination, with more faith with more commitment to God. He's got to go in the wilderness because in the wilderness, he's got to be tempted in every way. Why? So that he can be our high priest who understands what it means to be tempted. But the Bible tells us that Moses had to go into the back of the desert for 40 years and then he goes to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And here we see that the Bible tells us that David is in the wilderness. He's in a stronghold. And David decided, this is where I'm gonna stay. This is where I'm gonna die. I believe that David resolved in his heart that he was not gonna make it. Why? Because we know that the Bible says that Jonathan came to David and it says that David said to, to Jonathan, I'm one step near death. He said, I'm gonna die. And Jonathan empowers David. Notice what Jonathan says. He's in a stronghold. You know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is a thought that becomes a way of thinking, that becomes a way of living. David was in the stronghold of discouragement. David was in the stronghold of depression. He didn't know how to get out of it. He's in that cave, and his friend, uh, listen to me, no one else. The Bible says every day Saul sought out to find David. Saul couldn't find him, but David knew where David, David, Jonathan knew where David was. Why? Because he was his friend. He knew the secret place of David's heart. He knew the secret place of David's condition. And he knew where to find David. And David's sitting on that rock in that cave. Notice what the Bible says. I love this. And the Bible says, Jonathan went out to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith. Then Jonathan, God gives. Saul's son, Jonathan, God gives a friend to David, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Wow. Jonathan strengthened David's hand. Jonathan encouraged David. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith to God. Jonathan went out and spoke into David's life. He breathed encouragement and fearlessness back into David. And notice what Jonathan says to David. David, I want you to know that the kingdom's going to be yours one day. And I want you to know that I'm right there with you. And I want you to know the same God that walked with you in the valley and took down that giant is the same God that's going to do the same thing for you. And God's going to be faithful to you. And the Bible says that Jonathan Jonathan strengthened the hand of David. Listen to me. There are friends in my life that have been called to become my Jonathans, true friends that strengthen me, two true, true friends that encourage me to be all that God has called me to be, true friends that make me a better person. True friends that believe in the God that lives inside of me. True friends who can see things in me that sometimes I can't see in myself. True friends that come to me and say, Pastor Steve, you can, you can keep going, man. I know you're tired, but we're with you. True friends that tell me, Pastor Steve, there's something inside of you. We see it and we want to follow you. And we're okay with being behind you. We're okay with being with you. Why? because we see that God is at work in your life and we want you to succeed we want you to make it and pastor Steve we want you to know that we see that you get tired but just like Moses when he raised up his hands just like Moses when he raised up his hands to God and when he raised up his hands the Bible says the battle belonged to the Israelites when the Bible says that Moses began to worship God and he raised up his hands the Amalekites were defeated but when his hands started to go down he began to get tired and weary and weak the Bible Bible says that the, the Amalekites began to defeat the Israelites. And so there were men in Moses's life. There was a man in David's life. There were men in Moses' life to say, hey, hey, Moses, don't let your hands go down. We're going to make sure that your hands don't go down. We're going to lift up your hands. We're going to lift up your hands. We're going to come alongside of you. We're going to come alongside of you, and we're going to make sure that your hands are always raised to heaven. Hallelujah. We're going to come alongside of you, and we're going to make sure that your raised hands are never going to go down, that you're never going to get tired, that you're never going to get weary, that you're never going to get discouraged. We're going to make sure that whatever God puts into your heart, we're going to be faithful to lift up your hands and build you up because we love you, Pastor Steve, and we're with you 100% of the time. I want to tell you today, I've got some Jonathans in my life, and if I didn't have Jonathans in my life, I wouldn't do the things that I do now because God would not be able to do it through me because I didn't have people like these. Men who lift me up and support me. So today is Pastor Appreciation Day. And I got to be honest with you. In July, I celebrated 25 years of being the lead pastor of Bethlehem Assembly of God. And, and listen, and Listen, I, 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 was, I was so loved on, I was so honored and blessed that I'm still feasting off of that, that I'm still living off of that. <laughs> no, 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 listen, listen, listen. But I'm going to tell you something. There is no way in the world, there is no way in the world that I could ever be the lead pastor for 25 years doing the great things that we have done at Bethlehem Assembly of God without my Jonathans. God. God gives Jonathans to Davids. Jonathans that are committed. Jonathans that are sacrificial. Jonathans that are protective. Jonathans that are humble. Jonathans that are sacrificial in what they do. I'd like my staff and the board of Bethlehem Assembly of God, the men of God and women of God to come right now. And today is Pastor Appreciation Day. But I'm not wearing a rose today. Hold on. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to do something really special. And I'm going to disappear. Because I want this to be about my Jonathans today. I just want it to be all about my Jonathans today. So, after the service, I want my Jonathans to go over to the MMC building. And if you don't know where that is, you can ask somebody. And there's going to be some coffee and cake. But I want you to go and... Let my Jonathans know that you so appreciate the fact that they have decided, even though in their own right, they could be pastoring their own churches, doing great things for God somewhere else, and yet they have chosen to submit to my leadership humbly, loving. They're a lot better than I am. They make me look a lot better than I am. And I thank God for them. And so in a few moments, I want you to go and just thank them for being great Jonathans, faithful Jonathans. But this morning, I want to bless them. Honey, would you come? And uh, if your wives are here, if the wives of the leaders and pastors are here, would you just come? Amen. Amen. Now, it's not always easy, not always easy to get the wives that come, because unfortunately, and I want you to really pray for Diana, Pastor Tony's wife, who is very, very ill today, and we're praying that God blesses her. And Julia's got a couple of kids and hard sometimes to get to be able to come with the, all the stuff going on. And so there's some folks that are not here, some wives that are not able to be here today. But um, we want to honor the wives as well. And thank you for your sacrificial, sacrificial giving of your husband comfort. Your man works really hard. Really hard. Yeah. And Asher, your husband, he's, God's doing a great work in his life and he works hard. And I know Julia's watching via live stream today. Julia, your man, he's handsome <laughs> and he works hard. And your man works hard, and you know that. And your man really works hard. Two jobs, two jobs, two jobs doing ministry. And your man is the best looking one out of them all. <laughs> I could do that. I could do that. Um, I want you to stand to your feet right now as I bless these great warriors of God. Pastor Henry, you've been with me a long time. You've been with me since I started as a lead pastor. I mean, I think it was a few years later you came to be at Bethlehem Assembly of God, quiet man that carries a big stick. (laughs) And you're, you're capable of leading, you're capable of doing whatever God puts in your heart to do. And you've been a tremendous gift to me. I would not be here. I could not do what I do without your friendship. You are my Jonathan, and I thank God for you. you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Love you. Appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. Amen. Amen. Hun, you get a? Can you get some flowers and comfort? We just want you to know we love you and we appreciate you. You you, uh, you you share your husband with us. This man works all the time. Sometimes he doesn't come home. A lot of nights he doesn't come home, and then you're like, "Boy, you better come home because I cook for you." <laughs> Pastor Tony, a couple of years ago, God put you in my life. I remember the day that I came, you came to a foundations class, you sat at my foundations class, it was a, it was a dinner, and, um, and I came over to you and that was a God moment. That was a God moment. The Bible says and David and Jonathan's hearts were knit together and they became one. And God blessed me to have you in my life because there are things that I cannot do that you can do and you do it with grace You do it with faithfulness. You do it with devotion. And there are times only you and I know that you walk into the cottage and I'm really tired. And you say those words, pastor, I love you. I honor you, pastor. There's something about honoring your life that goes so deep that no matter what, you're right by me and I know that you're faithful, loyal, committed, and sacrificial. And I love you and I bless you. Love you, buddy. Love you. Love you. Hey hon, give me give me some roses. Pastor Tony, because you're so pretty. <laughs> Pastor Tony, please bring these to your wife and tell her we love her and we are praying for her. Nami, you blow me away. Your hair is beautiful. <laughs> But I'll never forget when you were water baptized and Pastor Jared said to me, you see that young man, he was Hindu and he gave his life to Jesus. And I know you know the price that that cost you to be a follower of Christ, but you have done it with boldness, with fearlessness. Doesn't mean that you haven't always been afraid. Doesn't mean you haven't been in a cave once in a while. But you have stood up to what you believe, and God is raising you up, and God's doing a great work in your life, and I bless you today, and I ask God that he would give you the desires of your heart to see all the people that you love come to faith, and you will be the first one to reverse the curse in a generation and start a whole new generation of believers. Love you. Love you. Hallelujah. And Asha, love your husband so much that he never loses his hair. (laughs) Vinnie, you're my son-in-law. He hates when I do this, but it, it didn't start out so good. See, he had a crush on my daughter. She was 14 years old. He was 15, 16. The first time I met him, I said, Vinny, don't touch my daughter. But I, but, I, but I learned quickly that he was such a man of God that when he walked into my office and said, can I have the hand of your, your daughter? I said, Vinny, absolutely, because I know you're a man of God, that you love God. And Vinny, if I give you my daughter's hand, you know I trust you enough to be the youth pastor at Bethlehem Assembly of God. <laughs> And Vinny, I want to tell you in front of all these people, you don't really need a title. You don't need a diploma, certificate. You got, you're working on all those things. But the truth of the matter is, is if God is pleased with you and God has called you and God is for you, nothing can stand against you. Be the man of God that God has called you to be. Vinny, what I love about you is you're strong, you're courageous, When you believe something, you will go toe-to-toe defending your faith and defending what you believe is right. And what young people need today is fearless leaders who stand up for what is right. Father, I thank you right now for Vinny. Bless him today and touch him. Bless him, Lord, to be fearless in all that he does. Thank you, Father. I bless you today. In Jesus' name, I love you. Praise God love you. you. Glenn, when you came to Bethlehem, Amen. you were broken, man. Because you and your wife put yourselves out on the line. And you served with humility. You served with dignity. You served with great intention. Things didn't always go exactly the way you hoped in ministry. But the thing that was so incredibly attractive to me, because I was the presbyter, I was the leader who interviewed you and your wife on the day that you were going for credentials with the Assemblies of God. And on that day, God knit our hearts together and I said, here's a couple who love God. Here's a couple that are committed, they're loyal, they're faithful, and they're people of integrity. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, we need to help them, take them under your wings and bless them. And today, you guys are flying, you're flying. And I thank God for what God's doing in your life. And I bless you and I I love you, love you. Keep flying, brother, keep flying. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep blessing our children because you're not afraid to teach them the truth. And Aracelles, we wanna give you some flowers and I wanna tell you that Aracelles is a licensed minister with the Assemblies of God. That's not her job here at Bethlehem. Her job is to be behind the scenes with the creative arts ministry, never complains, just continues to do what she does because she does it unto the Lord and she makes us all look good and we love you for that. God bless you. We love you. <laughs> Franklin, God has raised you up quickly. My heart for you is that you stay humble, you stay broken, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the day that you, you came and introduced yourself. We were standing right back there at that door right there And you were so humble, and you were so passionate about God. And in the last six years, God has done such an incredible work in your life. And you came alongside of me, and you said, Pastor, I want to serve you because you know that I have a heart to reach people in new communities. And so you went out to Rosedale, and I'm just blown away at the doors that God has opened for us because of your love for people, but the thing that blows me away more than that is the phone calls that I get, as you rejoice in the Lord at the great things that God is doing and you say, Pastor, come, I want you to speak in Rosedale, you open the door and you honor me, you honor me with your life, you honor me with the things that you do and you honor me because you are a true son, today you're my son and I'm your father and I thank God for what God is doing in your life, I love you so much, God bless you, God bless you son, love you, love you. Love you. Thank you so much. Maricel, the sacrifice that you make, watching your husband work two jobs, it's going to pay off. It's already paying off because God is doing great things in Rosedale and we love you for it. Amen? And to my beautiful wife, this woman has taken the journey with me for 35 plus years. i never forget talking to a young lady who was 19 years old. And I told her, I said, Lisa, I want you to know that I'm gonna be a minister, I'm gonna be a pastor. And you can walk away because it's gonna be a hard life, it's gonna be a difficult life. You can walk away today if you want. Because if you come with me, you're gonna walk with me in the mountains and in the valleys. And we're gonna, we're gonna have some tough times but if you want to walk with me, I know that God is going to do a great work." And she said, I do at this altar when we were 20 years old, and we've been doing it together for 35 years. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you, wherever you are, wherever you are in the cafe, in the balcony, on the main floor, even if you're watching via live stream today, would you just extend your hands towards these servants of God? And let's just bless them today. It's not about me today. It's about them today. Let's bless them. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for these incredible servants of God. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the many nights, Lord, where they stay up praying. We thank you for the times that Vinnie goes visit kids in their high school, Lord, and just sitting in the stands thinking to himself, man, I've I've got a million things to do, but he just supports them and loves them. We think of times when Glenn shows up on the other side, nobody even knows what he's doing. He's got a t-shirt on, running around with kids, Lord, and he does it sacrificial. We think of the times where Franklin goes into Rosedale and, and builds relationships with people, Lord, just so that we can plant the church there. We... We think of the times when the meat just comes on Sunday night and just pours and pours and pours his life into the young adults. And we think of Pastor Tony as he's the executive pastor and needs to strategize and do things, Lord God, that, that, that he never thought he would do because he thought he'd be preaching more and doing strategy less, and yet he does it all faithful to God because you've gifted him in this area. And Pastor Henry, Lord, God, thank you for Pastor Henry. Lord, thank you for the many hours after hours. His door is always open to anyone who needs love and care and counsel, Lord. God, he's a mighty man of God. And we thank you, Lord, for his submission and love for you, Lord. God, we pray, oh God, that you bless these men and women of God today, Lord, and use them for the glory of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to I'm going to ask them stay still. I'm going to ask the the pastors and leaders if you would walk out this walk out right here go right down to the to the MMC building and as they're walking out I want you to give them high fives and give them a big hand and let them know how much you love them. We'll see you at the MMC building. Go to the MMC building. Make sure you give them a hug. God bless you. Have a great day in Jesus. We love you guys.